You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. And uh, I was thinking about this message this week, and I, I, the Bible says we should confess our faults one to another, so I'm going to confess to you that as I kind of had an initial outline, I thought, oh, we've been talking about grace and law and grace and law and law and grace a lot. And haven't, like, have we worn this subject out a little bit? I'm just, in my heart, I'm telling you, I know you're like, that's, you're the pastor, you shouldn't think that. But I thought that a little bit. So I was praying about it. And as I prayed, God began to just, sometimes the Holy Spirit, in my mind, is a little sarcastic to me, probably because that's the way I am. Like, hey, pastor, maybe you ought to just read your Bible a little more and see what I have for you. And uh, I'm not going to be sarcastic to you this morning because I know that's my bad attitude. But I want us, as we think about this subject, and I mentioned this last week, Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes in very strong language to these churches about a subject that in one way we don't really deal with a whole lot. Most folks aren't coming in and saying, hey, you need to be circumcised and and obey all the Hebrew law if you're really going to follow Jesus. But... As Paul unpacks this idea of salvation by grace, and as we begin to see the different aspects of it, we are reminded, I was reminded this week, of some of what we have in Christ. And it is a lot. God is good to us. God has been good to us. And so I want us to uh, begin this morning in Galatians chapter 3 and begin in verse number 15. Paul is arguing for grace over the law. And last week we looked at how he made an argument uh, to the Galatians experience themselves. And then he used the Old Testament. He used the Old Testament scripture to to talk about it. And now he's just going to break down in kind of a logical argument here. He says, dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I am saying. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise, but God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. He says here that there is an irrevocable agreement. But it's probably not an irrevocable agreement in the way that we might think. Not like a contract where you might enter into somebody uh, with an agreement with somebody where you, maybe you negotiate. Um, 
I've done several different kind of business deals. One of the most common is to buy or sell a vehicle. You ever done that? Maybe you've done it with a dealer or privately, but you negotiate and you say, you know, here's the car, here's what it is, uh, I think it's worth this. And if you're selling it, you tend to think it's worth more than if you're buying it, right? And, and then, But you come to an agreement, you settle on a price, and maybe you shake hands, maybe you fill out a piece of paper, but you make an agreement, you say, I will give you this much money, and you will give me the car, or you will give me this much money, and I will give you the car. But that's not what happened between God and Abraham. What happened between God and Abraham is that God came to Abraham, and he made a promise. Abraham offered nothing. And God offered everything. But it is irrevocable because God is, as we sang today, a holy God. He is a God who does not lie. He always speaks the truth. And so when he makes a promise, that promise will always be fulfilled. There is nothing worse than making a promise and not being able to fulfill it. You ever done that to your children? Whew, they will not let you forget. Amen? Hey, you promised to go to Dairy Queen now. Sweetheart, it's midnight. Dairy Queen goes, but you promised. <laughs> None of my kids ever did that. I just made that illustration up randomly. But God made a promise to Abraham. And he made the promise to and about Jesus Christ. Genesis 12 records this. Genesis 21 records this. We're going to look at those a little later on in the message this morning. But he comes to Abraham and he said, listen, through you all of the world will be blessed. And he, he blessed Abraham, and Abraham was a blessing to others, but the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is in Jesus Christ. Because it's in Christ that salvation, forgiveness, a relationship with God is, is given to everyone through Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on in verse 17 and says, this is what I'm trying to say, that the agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. What, what Paul is reminding these, these believers is that the law came after the promise that God made to, to, to Abraham. The, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. God came to Abraham. It was actually more than 430 years. But 430 years is generally regarded as the time that the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Sometimes in scripture it's rounded to 400 years. But Paul says, listen, it was hundreds of years later that Moses received the law from God. It, the law came after. It came later. And it certainly wasn't going to then nullify the promise that God had made to Abraham. I mean, that is the lesson that our children teach us all the time if you're a parent, right? 
Because you can make a promise to your kid, something can come up, but they still expect you to make that pro- to, to fulfill that promise. Now, because we are not holy and can't always do what we say, sometimes we can't fulfill that promise. But that's not the case with God. He wasn't surprised when hundreds of years later he gave the Hebrew law to Moses, right? That was part of his plan. And he's still going to fulfill his promise. And God gave the promise first. He goes on in verse 19 of Galatians chapter three and says this, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. What he's telling us is that the law was temporary. The law was given alongside the promise, he says, but it was until the, the child came, the, the object of that promise, Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I have not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to accomplish their purpose. And it's true that that. The law is not to be done away with, but Christ fulfilled it. He accomplished what needed to be accomplished. And so what was left was the promise. The promise that God gave. And notice what he says here. And this is a little complicated for us to read, but in verse 19 he says this. The law was designed... Uh, to only last until the coming of the child who was promised. And then he says this, God gave his law through the angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. That's a, that's a lot of people involved, right? That, that God told the angels to tell Moses to tell the people. You ever get a message like that? And you're like, I don't know if this is right. Remember when you were a little kid, you sit in a circle and play telephone, you know, and someone would say something like, you know, it's cold outside and it would come around like concrete is squishy like ice cream or whatever, you know, just, it didn't make sense at all because the message got changed. But the promise was direct. The promise was direct from God to Abraham. God spoke directly to Abraham. And here's the good news. The fulfillment of that promise in Christ means we have direct access to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, it says this. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. See, I mentioned this earlier that We're looking at this this passage in Galatians and Paul is writing and he's writing to a people who are struggling with obeying the law and being circumcised and all that. Things that don't seem as relevant to us. 
But as Paul is arguing this, he's saying, listen, the law came to the angels, to Moses, to the people, but God spoke directly to Abraham. And we're reminded that God speaks directly to us. Now, I love to be a pastor. And one of my favorite parts of pastoring is preaching. That is the declaring of the truth of the word of God. And I enjoy that. And I, I, I try to be good at it. And my goal is to give less of me and more of the word. Because the word is truth and the word is powerful and the word is alive. But here's the thing. You don't need to come to church to hear all of what I'm going to say. So some of you are like, I heard it, see ya. Like five people just kicked off our live stream right now. Okay, cool. You don't need to come to church. This isn't the only place to hear from God. Now I believe you can hear from God here and that God will use the preaching of his word to speak to you through his word and the application of the Holy Spirit. But you don't need God doesn't only speak through me because we have his word and we have his Holy Spirit directly. And I I mentioned earlier that I encourage you to, to put down prayer requests and I think there's power when we pray together. We have a prayer meeting every Tuesday night where we exercise that and I'd invite you to come and be a part of that. But listen, you don't need me to pray to God for you because you can't do it on your own. Our mediator is not a pastor or a priest or or somebody else in a position of authority. Our mediator between us and God is Jesus. That's pretty great, isn't it? I mean, what do they talk about? Six degrees of separation that you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that is somebody? You know, some of you are like, no, I don't understand what you said. You ever sit around and do that? You know, like, hey, I got a cousin whose friend is like really good friends with a guy who's rich or something, famous or whatever. But you know, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. God's very spirit that, that scripture says when I just don't even know how to pray and I don't even have words and it's just a noise, uh, it, utterings that cannot, or groanings that cannot be uttered, the Holy Spirit hears that. He doesn't just hear my words. He, he knows my feelings, my heart, my desires. That Jesus Christ himself sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession on our behalf. He is going to the Father and saying, listen, have you seen your child here? Do you hear what they're saying? Do you recognize the situation they're in? This is the access that we have to God Almighty. This is why Paul would say to the Galatians, the promise is so much better than the law. And it's what we can be reminded of today that we have access to God Almighty. Galatians 3 goes on in verse 21 and says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. 
But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way, Paul said. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The first thing that we see here is that the law, and we've talked about this before, the law was never meant to save. It's not about keeping a bunch of rules. It's not about what you can do. The Bible is very clear, and we'll see this later on in our study in Galatians, that we should be diligent about how we live. We should try to be free from sin, and we should try to work to please God. But all of those things are done as a response for what God has done for us. They're done as a response for the love that God has for us. They're done as a response for the favor that God has for us. It's not about us earning God's love or us earning God's favor. You know, if I can just do this, then maybe God will bless me. If I can just do this, then God will forget about all the other stuff I've done and, and he'll like me. Listen, God already likes you. God already loves you. That's the, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel is that God loves you so much he sent his son to die for you, to pay the price for your wrongdoing so that you could be in relationship with him. That's why we want to do good in our life. That's why we want to follow his commands. That's why we want to try to be free from sin as a response to what he's done for us. The law can't save us. You can't be good enough to deserve God's blessings. None of us can. But God gives them to us anyway because he loves us. So the law can't save us. Romans chapter 10 verses 3 and 4 says, For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. You know, I think most people think that if I can be good enough, if my good will outweigh my bad, if, my, if, if, if I'm better than somebody else or whatever, then God will accept me. But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is we really become the judge of what's good and, and whether or not we're good enough. And we justify ourselves, don't we? We think, you know, I, I mean, I recognize that sometimes I lose my temper or sometimes I don't tell the truth or sometimes I have a bad thought or whatever it is that you sometimes do. But for the most part, I'm pretty good. I hardly ever kick my dog, and I mean, I'm a pretty good friend and, and neighbor, and whatever it is. But God is a holy God. We sing about that today. We sing about it, we read about it in scripture, but I'll tell you, we have a hard time comprehending that. 
to be without sin? Because my sin is with me all of the time. And yet God is a holy God and that is his standard. When we understand that, we, we begin to understand that we can never be good enough. That's why the vision that we read about in, in Revelation chapter four is so powerful because John gets this vision of God and it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the same vision that the prophet Isaiah gets in the Old Testament where he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the angels surround him and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We serve a perfect, righteous, holy God and we're not even close Isaiah's response, this great prophet who spoke for, to, to the people about God, who spoke for God, his response was, woe is me. He said, I'm undone. We can't be good enough, but that's okay. God knows that, and he loved us anyway, and he provided a way for us through Jesus Christ. The law reveals our sin. Verse 22 of Galatians 3 says, but the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. We receive God's promise of freedom. He goes on and he says, uh, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were put in protective custody. He said, I'll put it another way, the law was our guardian. That idea of guardian is someone who would be like a teacher or a guardian over a child. Someone who was an heir, but yet they would exercise authority over them until they were of age to, to, to have their own authority, to live in freedom. This is, I think, one of the most important aspects that, that applies to the Galatians and to us. Is that sometimes a set of rules can be comforting. Because they can, they can guard us, they can put us in a box and we can say, well, I'm following all these rules so God must be pleased with me. I, meant I must be doing it right. Whereas freedom sometimes can be scary. It's been about five or six years ago, but my wife was headed out of town and there was just some different circumstances that happened one, one summer. And I thought, I'm gonna go backpacking by myself. Like I've been backpacking before and I've got the, the equipment and, and, and I had kinda, there was a place I wanted to go and so I thought, I'm gonna do this by myself. And so I drove up into the mountains and I got my backpack on and I went hiking and I walked to this lake and I set up the camp and that's an eerie feeling. You know, when you're just up in the mountains in the woods, by yourself. Now there have been some other people that I met along the way, but I was kind of off isolated. And then if you're not careful as it begins to get dark, your mind can play tricks on you, right? You're like, well, if I died right now, who'd ever find you? Know, I, they'd be years. 
it just find a skeleton, you know, ever how I died. And he hear things. Isn't it amazing the difference between being by yourself and having a, a group of people around you? Because we don't, I mean, maybe when you were little, but as an adult, I don't typically think that when I'm with camping with three or four guys. But freedom, that's what I wanted, right? I wanted freedom. I just like, oh, I'm going to be up in the mountains by myself. It's going to be so great. And I just, you know, but then you get there and it's a little scary. It's the same way when we recognize the freedom that we have in Christ. You know, we, I talked about that we have direct access to God. That's great, right? We're all like, oh, that's great. It's great until we feel like we're displeasing to God and God has direct access to us. And then we're like, well, maybe it would be nice if there were like an angel and a prophet and a, you know what I'm saying? We could have a few levels there. Because freedom can be scary. But God has called us to freedom. And what the Judaizers, these false teachers were doing is they were coming in and they were preying on the fears of the Galatians and they were saying, well, if you'll just do these rules, if you'll just follow this list, everything will be okay. And there were people who were following that. But Paul said we're called to live in freedom. Galatians 5.13, which is our theme for this study. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's part of what Jesus said regarding the great commandment and the second like, like unto it. Remember in the gospels where the, the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus and so they came and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And they thought, he, whatever he says, we can think of another one that's like almost as good and, and we can kind of catch him. And he said, well, all of the, the greatest commandment is you need to love the Lord your God with everything you have. All of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything. And the second commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And here, Paul says, listen, you can hang everything on this idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's freedom, isn't it? Because directed by the Holy Spirit, given the principles in God's word, you are free to live your life in a way that is pleasing to God as he directs you. But that can be scary. Because sometimes then we have to find our way. For years I was a youth pastor and one of the most difficult times I think for people uh, is when they graduate from high school, depending on the person. See, think about your life until you graduate high school. Pretty limited choices. Your parents dictate a lot of stuff for you, don't they? I mean, my parents never came to me and said, hey, you know, you're five. And a lot of kids choose to go to kindergarten when they're five 
Now, to really start you on a path of education, but maybe that's not for you. Do you think you want to go or not? I don't recall ever having that conversation with my parents. Matter of fact, I can recall several times in my school-age career where I was like, I don't want to go. And it didn't seem like there was a lot of negotiation there. They were like, get out of bed, you're going to school. I mean, my parents, this, this was the, the rigid, uh, just oppression that I grew up under. My parents told me when to wake up, when to go to bed, what school to go to, how to brush my teeth. I mean, there was all, you, you seem like you're not that compassionate towards my situation. And then here's what happens. You get to the end of high school and what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? I don't know. Like you can go anywhere, you can do anything and it can be hard. That freedom can be scary. Now, not for some folks. Some people, they have a dream and a vision. They're like, I'm going to go to this college or I'm going to do study this thing. And they've got a plan and they just work that plan. And I hate people like that. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My wife knew she wanted to be a teacher from like, I don't know, probably the time she was born. She told me that as a little girl, she'd play school. I'm like, really? Like you went to school and then you pretended like you were at school? Why? I went to school, I went to gym, and I pretended like I wasn't at school. But she knew what she wanted to do, but that wasn't me. I kind of had fits and starts and failures, and I ended up here. Maybe, maybe, amen. Because freedom can be scary. Man, I counseled some teenagers that in the face of unlimited opportunity, they froze. They couldn't do anything. And they just needed to be encouraged to do something. Go get a job, go to a community college and take a class. Just start to do something and then you can start to figure it out. But sometimes in the face of freedom, we freeze. So afraid that we'll make the wrong choice not recognizing that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us. Sometimes, when kids graduate high school, in the face of unlimited choices and freedom, they go nuts. Right? They make mistakes. They do dumb things. Not any of you, but you've probably heard rumors about other people like that. That's why Paul would say, don't use your freedom as an occasion to sin. The freedom that we have in Christ is not, a, you know, our get out of hell free card that we can just go do whatever we want to do. There are principles that God desires for us to live by. But we are free in him. And that freedom can be scary, but it is the promise that God has for us, this promise of faith. And Paul closes Galatians 3, beginning in verse 27 this way. 
He says, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That's really interesting what he says here. Because Paul is writing in the first century to people living under Roman rule. And there absolutely were Romans and Gentiles and Jews and people in slavery and bondage and people that were free and citizens of Rome. There, those were absolutely classes of people. But he said, that is not your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. That is not how we ought to look at ourselves or how we ought to look at others. Because we are children of God. We are, as he said, we read earlier in Revelation, we are a, a nation of priests. This is what God has done for us. And so there's unity in the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some are free, but we have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. It's, in, it, it's really incomprehensible for us to think of. But can you imagine gathering with a group of believers and some of those people are actually slaves in bondage? That's what the first church did. And, and they gathered together, but Paul is clear to say, hey, listen, we are all the same in Christ. The reality is this, that we have different earthly circumstances. Some of us have physical limitations. Some of us have intellectual limitations. Some of us have emotional struggles. Some of us, the, the situation into which we were born seems unfair compared to the situation of someone else. And, and we, can, we can be concerned about that. We can seek to, uh, to maybe uh, make those things different, but ultimately our freedom is in Christ and in eternity. That's the promise that God has for us. And so there's unity in the Spirit of God. One of my prayers for Belmar Church every week is God give us unity. And not unity if we all like the preacher. That would be great. But unity of the Spirit. Unity on a spiritual level. Not only that, but in Christ there is equality. That's why he said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, man or woman. Ephesians 2, verse, beginning in verse 14, says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, his, with his, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. 
What a beautiful picture. These walls that separate us are broken down by the sacrifice of Jesus. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. So because of that, we are free to love one another. We are free in Christ to love our neighbor as ourselves. But that can be scary because what if God calls you to love somebody that previously you would have had hostility for? See, I think for all of us, there are people that we just have some, it's natural for us to have some fear or some hostility about. Maybe it's somebody of a different race. We wouldn't admit that. Maybe it's somebody of a different religion. Maybe it's somebody of a different political persuasion. But in Christ, we are free to love them. That can be scary. You know what's easier? Saying everybody just needs to be like me. That's what the Judaizers did, didn't they? They said, well, just be circumcised. Just follow the Hebrew law. Just act exactly like we do. And then you can be, you can be in our club. You can be with us. And Paul said, no, you're free. Christ has broken down these things. And there's a quality in Jesus. I want to close this morning by reading to you out of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham. This is early in scripture, right? We're only 12 chapters into the Bible. He's created man and all of creation. Man has fallen. And pretty quickly we come to Genesis chapter 12. And God comes to Abraham and he says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And Paul makes clear in Galatians chapter three that this promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That in Christ all the nations of the earth can be blessed and are to be blessed. But he also says in scripture that we are the true children of Abraham. That one of the things that God has called us to do is to be a blessing to others. Now there are probably people, hopefully even in this room, who it is easy for you to love. It's easy. They just, man, you just have an affinity for them. You like them. And it's easy for you to show love for them. It's easy for you to, to, to buy a gift for them or to show kindness for them or, or to have kind words for them. But what about to those who it's not so easy? 
What about to those people who even when you do something nice seem more hostile than grateful? You ever dealt with that? Isn't that frustrating? Don't you just say, well, forget you then and move on? Thank God God didn't do that to us. Amen? Because there are times when we are and were hostile to God and less grateful than we should have been. See, Jesus Christ died for us and through his sacrifice, we are free, but we're free to love. Not just those who it's easy to love, but even those to whom it is difficult. That might be a group of people That might be someone in your family. That might be someone who's offended you, hurt you, done wrong to you. But even when we were offensive to God, he loved us and forgave us and sent Jesus for us. So let us walk in the freedom that he's given to us and let us be free to love others. Let's pray this morning. Our dear God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your son and the salvation we have in him. And God, we recognize the awesome responsibility that you have given to us by forgiving us and loving us. Because in that you have called us to forgive and to love others. And Lord, it would be easier for us to pray not to have the opportunity to exercise that freedom. Because loving those who are unlovely can be hard and forgiving those who don't deserve it can be hard. But God, this is the freedom you have called us into. And so help us, God, to exercise that freedom even this week. We ask your strength and the empowering of your Holy Spirit to accomplish this. And we thank you for the freedom the love and the forgiveness you've given us through Jesus Christ and our faith in him. In his holy and precious name we pray, amen.